I think it's important to work really hard and don't have the expectation that that it's going to come to you if you don't go after it. Um, you know, take risks, do the work, try things. It might not always lead to something, but down the line, it might. You don't even realize it. Just you know, just try things. Follow your interests. I mean, I think if something's, I always say like, follow your jealousy. If you see something that someone's doing that you're like, God, that is so cool. Like try to figure out how to do that. It doesn't, you, you can do it. This is Fearless Media, my podcast about the future of media, entertainment, and tech. The entrepreneurs, innovators, artists, and creators boldly leading the way, all with a healthy mix of mind, body, and soul. Diverse stories from diverse voices. Welcome to episode seven of Fearless Media. That's Jenny Morris, Senior Vice President of Content Strategy for new mega streaming service, HBO Max, offering her core wisdom to those who want to break into the media and entertainment business. In this episode, Jenny, whom I've known for several years, lays out her own professional journey, which is yet another that is nonlinear and full of twists and turns. You may have noticed a recurring theme here in these podcasts. Jenny offers insights and advice taken from her own professional journey and reveals how she ended up now fearlessly leading content strategy at one of the streaming media giants that now battles almighty Netflix for our attention and for our wallets. Certainly a daunting task, but an exciting one too. All industry eyes are on HBO Max, which means Jenny has a lot that's going on right now. Jenny's great, authentic, and her dog's barking in the background occasionally just added to that overall sense of authenticity. Let me introduce you formally, and then we'll get into the, the conversation, but it's great to have you. Nice to be here. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for joining. I, I think we met when you were first at um, Participant Media. I think that I think was so. the first time. Mm-hmm. And, and if I recall correctly, we were at um, South by Southwest. If you yes, remember, I think that is right. Better, but that's okay. So I do remember. <laughs> probably having good barbecue. Yeah, so Jenny so. is the senior vice president of content strategy and planning at Warner Media slash HBO Max. She serves, um, she's responsible for managing the HBO Max content portfolio, including identifying opportunities to optimize the content off- offering and crafting the programming rollout. So we'll find out a little bit more what that means. (laughs) She previously worked as the content strategy lead at Facebook. uh, One of of our family's favorite shows is Facebook Watch, uh, Real Bros of Simi Valley. Mine too. My children too. Love. We all watch it, actually. It's very funny. So if you haven't watched that, people out there, Real Bros of Simi Valley on Facebook Watch. Um, And... And as the executive vice president of acquisitions, research, and operations of Participant Media's cable channel, Pivot. She also worked as VP of International Marketing at AMC Networks and various programming roles at Showtime and Sundance Channel. So, like across many different media companies. And she earned her JD, interestingly enough. And MSW, is that Master of Social Work? Yes. Okay, I Mm -hmm. guess that. At Boston College. Yeah. And her BA was in Russian studies from UC Santa Cruz. So that's interesting yeah. because it doesn't scream entertainment, but no. <laughs> that's part of all this, people, about non, non-linear journeys. So, so first, Jenny, let's get into what your role is 
at HBO Max, just so people sure. understand a little bit more about that. Yeah. Can we talk about my song too? Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> and by the way, people send your questions in throughout this on ch- via chat or the Q and a function down below. And I'll get to as many as I can at the end, but yes. Only yeah, because I am pretty passionate about it. It's a tell good song. Uh, so the song is this town and it's off the album beauty and the beat uh, by the go-go's. And it was an early eighties album. It was the first album, all female written, uh, performed to be on the billboard top 200, um, which was a very big deal. And two things, one, the Go-Go's while very outwardly poppy were actually at their heart and core and originally a punk band. So they had a lot of energy, um, but they were also commercial, which is an interesting place to sit. Um, and this town is about LA. So I figured it was appropriate. Um, and you're, and, and you're, I'm from LA. And you're a punker at heart. At heart. At heart. <laughs> okay. Excellent. Hot veneer punker at heart. All right. Wonderful. So <laughs> tell us a little bit about your, your career path. And we'll just, you know, start us from the beginning. We'll get into that a little bit because then we can tease out lessons learned for those of you out there who may think that there's one way to go and get into what you believe you want today. Um, but Jenny, will will talk about this. Sure. I mean, I think you mentioned my college uh, major was Russian studies. So definitely not um, immediately jumping into entertainment. I did mention I grew up in LA. Um, my dad was in the entertainment business. I was surrounded by it. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I think I mentioned this to you that I when I was very young in middle school and high school, kind of fancied being a performer in some way, dancer and actress. Um, And my parents were very discouraging. They were not encouraging. They did not connect me to anyone. Um, And many years later, when I had a conversation with them about it, they explained it was because if I had really wanted it badly enough, I would have done it anyway. Um, Which, you know, so they say that it was intentional. mm Mm-hmm. Yes, because it's so hard. Their, their feeling was it's so hard to be on the performer side um, that if you, 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 if, to, if you want to make it, you have to really want it. Um, and if it's easy, you might not make it. So that said, I went to college and pursued other interests. And I've always had a lot of interests. I would find something I was interested in. I would just kind of pursue it. Um, so I went into college thinking I was going to study psychology and do dance. And I did take classes in both of those things. Um, but somewhere along the way, I figured out that I really loved languages. And I had always loved languages in high school. Um, I studied Spanish in high school. I thought I'd study Spanish in college maybe. But um, I ended up taking a Russian class, just sort of a happenstance with a friend. And you know, my family's background is, you know, Russian Jewish. And so I felt like, oh, this is kind of interesting, fun. And I really loved it. And I just got into it. And I really liked the language and I liked Russian literature. And I ended up studying abroad, ended up coming back and meeting someone in Russian class who's now my husband, who's actually from Latvia. So it all kind of came together um, and I really enjoyed it. But then I had no idea what I was going to do. So I worked at a language school for a year after college and um, also enjoyed it. But still not sure what I was going to do. And I applied to law school and I applied to graduate school and I really wanted to go into educational psychology. And the one time I really allowed other people to influence me was when I decided to go to law school. My parents were like, well, if you got into law school, you might as well just do that. (laughs) Um, So I just did that. uh, And I went to BU for a year 
and I hated it. I mean, it was UC Santa Cruz and BU are not really uh, similar. <laughs> no friends to any BU people out there. No, I, I just was shocked by how different it was as an educational experience. It just not was not what I was used to. Um, and it was a, it was a really great first year of law school, but I knew I didn't want to really practice. And I thought maybe I wanted to do sort of holistic legal and social services somehow. Um, and I decided I was going to do a master's in social work also. And they wouldn't let me do that at BU, especially after I'd already done my first year. So BC actually offers a dual degree program in law and social work, uh, which is a fantastic program. And if anyone is interested, I'm more than happy to talk to them about it. It's really amazing because, um, much like Emerson, actually, it offers a lot of, and um, part of the curriculum includes externships, internships, externships, and um, particularly for social work, that's incredibly meaningful and valuable. And so I spent three more years at Boston College. So just let me ask you about that. Yeah. So uh, first of all, a couple of things. For all of you out there, um, again, I think it's really worth noting that um, Jenny... Russian studies does not scream media, scream media, entertainment, and tech. And so maybe one of the lessons is don't sweat it too much to try to fit yourself into a certain bucket to be able to break into the business. Yeah. That's one thing. Um, Secondly, just when you were talking about externships, that is actual, a part of the curriculum, part of the program. And so you get paid externships, I would imagine, and credit for them. Yes. Okay. Yes. Just curious. Yes. Um, so yes. And that, and those were phenomenal experiences. I mean, you're truly embedded and it's, I honestly can't remember if they were full-time for a semester or for, it was, but it was many hours a week. It wasn't just like, you know, a couple hours a week internships and you're also doing classes. It was like those times when you were involved in your working with the organizations, it was really like a full-time experience. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah. And, and so I think to your point, I kind of just for the most part, outside of going to law school, maybe, but now I don't regret that. Um, I just, I did, I pursued what I was interested in. And I really do think that's where you're most successful. If you're, you know, if you're moving into an area that you're just not that interested in, you're probably not going to do as well. Um, So I luckily was able to just kind of keep doing that and saying, oh, I'm going to go over here and do this. That looks really interesting. And every time you do it, I did it. I think I really learned a lot. I got a lot. There you go. Ah, See, that's the the beauty. (laughs) That is the beauty of doing Zoom it's a Zoom calls. Yes, he is. Um, he is loud. Um, very cute, though. Uh, so every time I did something different, I think I really gained. You know, even this the social work experience. Which, if you were to look at my my career path following my law school and social work experience, there's nothing in any experience following that that screams social work either. Mm-hmm. Um, but I certainly developed skills and the ability to to, you know, build empathy and understand where people are coming from. That has absolutely been beneficial for me along the way. So I don't, I, I, you know, I don't regret it. And in fact, I think it's really helped me. Um, And then when I got out of that program, again, not really knowing what I was going to do and realizing that I had a lot of debt (laughs) um, and that I probably needed to pursue something other than social work, at least initially. Um, So I kind of went back to, the other area that I'd always been interested in. And, and by the way, my last year of law school, I did end up taking a lot of entertainment and media classes because it, it was always an area of yeah. you know, interest and uh, background. So I had some um, education there as well. And then my first job out of law school was at Miramax and I worked in contracts. So how did, you, that way. how did you break into your first 
first job at Miramax? It was a temp agency. Okay. Yep. So I went to, I went to New York uh-huh. and I really had no idea how I'd get a job. <laughs> and I strangely had a couple of friends from BU still who had come to New York and ended up in the entertainment industry. Um, and yeah, I met with people. I talked to people. But for the first year plus that I was in New York, I didn't get, you know, I, I had to work through a temp agency. And my first job was at Miramax through a temp agency. And I don't know how prevalent entertainment specific temp agencies are anymore, but they were, there was a a market for them then. Yeah. But it's interesting because one of the things out there, and we'll get into that a little bit more is that you, you put yourself out there. You didn't know exactly where it would go, but you would, you took action. You just Mm -hmm. took some kind of action and it's not the most obvious path to go in temp agency and whether there are temp agencies today, but the point is for everybody out there, it's like, there's no one right way and there's no one right way or gig to start your path off. And I would say that just being part of student of creative university is already starting your path off mm-hmm. because you have real people who are, are here to help you if you really want it. But anyhow, yeah, go ahead. No. And I, and I think, you know, I wouldn't say for instance, that I ever had like a big break. I would say I've had a lot of great experiences and, um, mentors along the way and some luck, you know, and I think even working at Miramax through, through that agency, I mean, it was, it was lucky because I met a lot of, a lot of people there who I've crossed paths with many times since. Um, I also really solidified the fact that I did not want to work in the legal department or in contracts, Um, (laughs) but it gave me exposure to creatives and the creative process and the film industry um, in a way that, you know, and at the time it was, you know, Miramax was incredibly successful. It was like the height of their earliest success. Yeah, absolutely. So did any of the, when you came in from a temp agency into Miramax, were those relationships, you said that they keep circling back in your life, but Mm -hmm. were they helpful to get your next gig after that? Really not specifically, no. Okay. Okay. (laughs) What happened was um, one of the people that I actually was in law school with at BU, who graduated from BU, ended up getting a job at Showtime. And she got a job in the programming and the scheduling and planning team and in New York. And strangely, there were several people in that department who were lawyers, uh, ex-lawyers. And so she said, hey, you should come you know, actually, I think I maybe met them for the first time at her, at her apartment. She was like, oh, you should come over. You can meet these people. You know, we all work together and several of them happen to have been lawyers. And so, you know, if you're looking for a different kind of job, you don't want to stay in contracts, you know? And so I, I met them and then, you know, then the job opened up and I, and actually I, <laughs> I interviewed and I didn't get the job the first time. Uh, and they, they made an offer to someone else. And that person made the decision not to take the job and they came back to me. Interesting. Mm-hmm. By the way, another lesson for everybody, mm-hmm. everybody rejected. Mm-hmm. <laughs> everybody does. And it, it's never easy. It's never oh. easy, but it's just part of the path. And one of the things, one of the recurring th- themes, I mean, th- in this case, it worked out really nicely immediately. One of the recurring themes is that putting yourself out there, not being afraid to fail, yeah. um, because you will learn something from that. As cliche as that sounds, it's very true. The more you the more you put yourself out there, the more likely it is that you will find something and then it will take you mm-hmm. a different direction. Mm-hmm. 
It is. And it's really, it is really hard. I mean, it's funny that you say that I hadn't thought about like emotionally thought about those times for a really long time. And now that I'm going back there, I'm, I'm reminded of how hard it was. It was hard. It was, you do feel defeated at times. You know, you see a posting for a job and then it's gone. You have an interview and you don't get the position. You talk to someone you think can help you. They can't. I mean, it is, it's really, really hard. And being persistent is key and following up is key and finding, finding your people. You know, when you have a conversation with someone, you feel like, I really like that person. Make sure you don't lose that. By the way, on that point, I, I, I want to just emphasize that a little bit too. When you said that following up is really important, um, taking the time is really important. Uh, I, I completely agree. I think that um, follow-up for everybody out there is just something that, um, I continue to see that isn't done all that much. Mm-hmm. And it's such a statement now because that's the case <laughs> when people do. So it's yes. something to do. And one other thing, and this is just my personal thing, maybe it's because I'm a lawyer by trade. And so I'm kind of <laughs> meticulous about things, but it's like, take the time. So if you're sending something and writing something, make sure it has no typos, like little things like that matter. Cause it goes to your credibility, but it. Yes. Yeah. No, 100% agree. Um, so then you, you, were, you were there. Then what was your next step and why did you take it and how did that happen? So my next step, I think, was a big one, actually. I was working in um, planning and scheduling at Showtime and a phenomenal experience. I mean, I, I met some lifelong friends, lifelong colleagues. I mean, you know, people who kind of, again, come in and out of my work life regularly um, who... We, we had a very close-knit department. It was one of those work experiences where you really do feel like family. Um, and we all, there were a bunch of people who worked together for quite a while. Um, and I think I mentioned this to you, but uh, at one point, I there was a project that was kind of being, I wouldn't say shopped around internally, but that needed to be done. And And, and to be honest, I don't remember exactly how I ended up volunteering, but you know, I used to, like I said, I think I used to stay really late. Um, and I did a lot of screening of content. So I would do that often after people were gone because it was, it was, you know, it was loud. And I, at one point my, uh, my cube was where the printer was. So I was really cramped and I couldn't really focus on watch, watching things and people would come and ask me questions all the time. So at one point I was there late and, um, one of the lawyers, was walking around to, I think, some of the people in the offices and asking, you know, I really need to get this project done. We need to track these Bermudan rights. I mean, it's so obscure, but it was this kind of big project. Um, rights, was take rights from Bermuda. Rights, rights for, the, for Bermuda, yes. Okay. Okay. For content, yeah. yes. Do we have the rights to this content in Bermuda? And we had to look through agreements. Um, so not necessarily the, the sexiest of jobs. No. Nope. <laughs> no, not at all. It wasn't about, you know, what, what movies are we going to buy or how are we going to schedule things? No, it was just, you need to look and see, do we have the Bermudan rights? You track it in this document. Then, you know, we needed to do some, I don't remember, some pretty simple analysis of the document. Um, and I just volunteered to do it. And I ended up staying really late for quite a while <laughs> to get this thing done because it was on top of my regular job. Um, and, you know, developing a relationship with this person and, be contributing to something that was completely outside of the scope of my role. And, um, and I think that was the first time that I felt like 
you know, maybe I'll do this and it'll help me somehow. You know, maybe I can, you know, if it's, I, I know I don't want to be in the legal department, but maybe, you know, he'll be working on something else. And then, you know, I just thought about it that way kind of for the first time. Like this is, you know, it's smart to think outside of your role and do the extra work, even if it's not all that interesting all the time, because it can, it can really make an impact on your career. And so Showtime ended up, um, forming a couple of joint ventures and launching internationally shortly thereafter. And I think having participated in this project, um, you know, a couple of people were talking, other people internally that might be interesting or interested in working in international for Showtime. And my name came up and I ended up talking to them and I ended up getting that job. And that was a huge leap for me. So listen um, to that, everybody. Um, <laughs> you know, think about it because you were doing it for certain reasons, but certainly also part of it was just, Okay, you learn a little something at a minimum, mm-hmm. right? Learn a yeah. little something at a minimum. And you didn't have this grand plan of where that, no. how that would help you, but you just were dedicated. You were tenacious. You were re- happy to work hard. Mm-hmm. And because of that, because you stayed late, because you did that, who knows what would have happened if you didn't? I'm sure right. you'd be. You'd, I'm sure you'd be doing wonderful things, but you wouldn't be on the path you're on. That that little step, because you mm-hmm. took the time that night. That little step has brought you to where you are today. And it's pretty amazing because it's the relationship. Somebody was like, wow, she's good. She's good. And they gave you another chance. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is, that is often how it works. And I see it now, you know, people who work with me now, and I see people who go the extra mile, ask the extra questions, you know. Oh, you froze for a second. Yeah. Jenny, there you go. Yes. Okay. Go back for a few seconds because you froze for a second. <laughs> yeah, no, I see it with people I work with now. And I, you notice people who are, you know, again, tenacious, uh, curious, you know, going to do, not afraid. I mean, I do think having had the legal education, I wasn't afraid of looking at a contract, you know, that didn't intimidate me. Um, so getting the experience also makes you less afraid, which is really good. Um, and doing something that is not in your scope allows you to see you can, which is really good. And um, let me ask you a question about that too, because it, it's another theme that keeps kind of coming up. When you say you didn't really know, you know, you, you felt you could do it, but you didn't really know how it would be done. But one of the things that you experience over and over again is that no matter what position somebody's in, they don't know that they're right. kind of making it up as they go mm-hmm. to a certain extent, taking yes. your experiences and judgment, of course, but it's true. Don't be afraid to try something because you don't know it. Right. That's how you grow. Yes. No, and I think that is that is absolutely important. I think it's important for everyone. Um, I think there are certain people who, you know, a little bit imposter complex, like, oh my gosh, they're going to find out that I don't know what I'm doing, you know, and you only start to know what you're doing by doing things, you know. Um, no one is very young in this industry and knows how to do everything. It's not possible. You have to do it and learn it. And then you can also figure out how to maybe do it better and differently. Uh-oh. Someone's joining. What's happening? Ah, well, let's, um, here. Uh, What's going on? It's my husband. Hold on one second. That is weird. Okay. 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 Go ahead. Okay. All of a sudden we had a second Jenny Morris. That was weird. It was my husband's picture. I don't know what just happened. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Okay. That's good because I thought I didn't know who that was. No, it was him, but I don't know what, I don't know what just happened. That was very (laughs) strange. 
Um, so anyway, yes. So I worked in international and I will say that was a huge turning point. Again, I had interest in other languages, in travel, in, you know, the international business arena. So for me, it was a dream. Um, and opened me up to a whole other, you know, opportunity. And I was also able to do more because the international business was a really small startup within the larger company, which is also sort of a theme throughout my career now. It's what I seem to, to do, which I really enjoy. Um, but we had a lot, you know, we had a very lean team. I got to do a lot of things. So outside of just, you know, programming and scheduling, I was involved in acquisitions and in marketing and I was traveling and working with teams remotely. And um, so it was a whole new um, experience. You know, that's an interesting point, too, because uh, some of you out there may want to be looking for smaller environments, entrepreneurial paths, that sort of thing. And you may think that a large media or entertainment or tech company doesn't have that. But if you are entrepreneurial and you and you would rather be in part of a smaller team that is you, where you may have more immediate impact, uh, there may be those opportunities. You just have to probe around and find out what those could be. That is absolutely true. Uh, and I've found myself on those teams multiple times now. And there, I mean, there, there are challenges in that. Absolutely. There are some existing structures that can make it more challenging, but there's also, you know, there are resources that you often yeah. don't have at other startups. Um, and there are some positive things about structure, um, you know, risks you're able to take. So I've enjoyed those opportunities, the sort of more startup nature inside the larger companies. And it, I've, I've experienced it now multiple times. So then take us to your next step after that role. So after that role, um, there were some corporate shifts and Sundance Channel had actually been run mostly by the Showtime team and they were bringing everything in-house. So they were establishing a a purely Sundance-focused team. Um, And this was a couple of years before Sundance Channel was actually bought by uh, Rainbow Media, now AMC Networks. So um, the international Showtime business was um, probably a little bit before its time in the way that it had been set up. So the JVs uh, kind of unraveled and it was a little bit, it was just a little too early for that kind of international distribution of uh, premium cable network here and the way the businesses had been set up, just it, it wasn't working financially. So uh, the businesses were being shut down or relegated to the international partners. And at the same time, the um, Sundance Channel work was being brought in-house and they'd asked me if I would come and... Um, run programming for Sundance. So the scheduling and planning for, for Sundance channel, uh, which I'd worked I on imagine, when I was at, at Showtime. <laughs> and I would, I would imagine that again, uh, at that point you've established relationships. And so they knew you, they knew the kind oh, yeah. of work you could do all that kind of thing. Yeah, it was, I had worked on, so I should have, I didn't mention, I, I worked on Sundance channel when I was working on the Showtime networks more broadly because it was in the suite of networks. Everything has changed so dramatically now, but um but yes, so I knew that team very well. Um, it was it was really good timing. I mean, yes, I had good relationships with them for sure. They knew that the international business was transitioning, that I was going to be available. It was you know kind of synergy. Um, and then I and I went and worked on Sundance Channel, and I was there working on programming, working really closely with the acquisitions team, the original programming team, um, through the acquisition from 
AMC, Rainbow now AMC, and then we moved over to be part of AMC Networks. Gotcha. And by the way, Brett, I see your question and I have other questions too. We will get to those questions <laughs> later on, I, I promise you. Um, and if for those of you out there, feel free to ask in the Q&A or in the chat windows. That's fine. Okay. So, and, so okay. yes. And, then, and, and yeah. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, it was it, this was actually my first experience with um, working on a business that was acquired. And that was that's also a really interesting challenge. Um, and it speaks also to a lot of what's going on in the industry right now, I think, in terms of transitions and streamlining and merging. And it can be extremely challenging uh, to work at a company that's going through a transition, extremely challenging. Yeah, um, by the way, I just, I, I've done a lot of M&A and, throughout my career. And one of the things, and, and for, again, for everybody out there, the media and entertainment business, I don't need to tell you, has transformed dramatically. And so, you know, now we live in a streaming first world to a large extent. But in, in mergers and acquisitions, so M&A, which is when one company buys another company, and you're seeing that time and time again, and they're getting bigger in, in mm-hmm. the business. The, a lot of times, well, the, the most single, cha- the most important or most challenging part of it is what they call integration. So bringing the companies together and, and just working out how that's mm-hmm. going to work. But lost in the shuffle a lot of times is the, is the fact that the human factor really has to be number one. Because there's so much uncertainty, there's so much confusion. Like if if people are worried about what happens to me, where's my role going to be, all that kind of thing, they can't be effectively doing their jobs. Right. And so, for future M and A people, you're like, and for <laughs> every career, you're likely to be part of something like that at some point. That's going to be that's that's a big challenge. Yes, it it really is, and uh, I was significantly younger then. And it was the first time I'd been through something like this. Uh, and it was, a, it was a grand education, really, in your, you know, the need to be flexible, uh, the need to live with uncertainty. I mean, I, I'd been very lucky, frankly, until this point. And, and it all worked out for me personally in terms of you know, my role ended up growing a bit. I got to work on Sunday's Channel and IFC um, domestically. And then I went into my next international role. But it was... Um, a real test for me because mm-hmm. it was just, it upended everything, all the assumptions I had, you know? Um, and that can be really hard, I think, especially for young people when you feel like you're just kind of growing your career and then something happens at a corporate level that whether, you know, even if you, even if your role grows, you see people lose their jobs, you see things changing, maybe for the better, maybe not culturally, other ways. It's really challenging. And it, it I think as you mature, you start to take those things less personally and try to make them better for everyone involved. But initially, especially when you're young, it's really hard. Yeah. And you can only control what you can control. Mm -hmm. So as much as you can is just kind of do, do your, be a positive force. Right. Because there are a lot of negative forces frequently in those kinds of situations. Yes. It's very hard. Um, But uh, yes. So I worked on the domestic business. Um, My role really didn't change that much. Like I said, I worked on Sunday's channel. I got to work on IFC, which was fun. Uh, and then um, AMC was launching internationally. So it was a little bit complicated because they were launching, uh, unlike the US where AMC was sort of the mother brand internationally, they, everyone felt like Sundance Channel would resonate better because of Sundance um, and because of Robert Redford. 
and I think that was the right assumption. But we ended up launching internationally Sundance Channel with as much AMC programming as we could. So it was a bit of a mishmash um, <laughs> in order to get distribution internationally and engagement internationally. Um, so I worked on marketing. Uh, it was distribution marketing, but it really ended up being all marketing. It was trade marketing and digital marketing and consumer marketing and and all distribution marketing. And it, it was amazing. I mean, it was it was a brand. Sundance Channel had been a brand that I felt very close to and very um, emotional about for a long time. So I, 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 again, I think that passion really showed through and allowed me to be a really good brand ambassador and marketer for the channel internationally. Um, and I was also excited to be back in the international space. Um, and again, a smaller startup inside a bigger company. And I definitely felt like I was able to make an impact. Gotcha. Okay. So you were in that group and then take us through your, your next transition. And so how that, that yeah. uh, that, uh, so I, I, I really enjoyed the marketing role. Uh, however, I will say we'd always wanted to come back to LA. So we, I'd been on the East coast for 20 plus years, grad school, you know, working in New York and always felt like someday maybe it'd be nice to get back to LA. Um, and a job opportunity came up uh, to work on the launch of a new network from Participant Media uh, that we ended up calling Pivot. And, and tell everybody a little bit about Participant Media. Yeah, Participant Media is a fantastic company uh, founded by Jeff Skoll, um, one of the founders of eBay, who has invested tremendously in um, media that drives social change. So for the most part, it's a film company. Um, and um, they do incredible work in the documentary space and the narrative space. Um, it's really wonderful. And there are social impact campaigns that um, run alongside the films. Like, so like An Inconvenient Truth is one of their movies, for instance. And so they have a big initiative around climate change. Um, it's a fantastic company. And they were looking at the possibility of launching uh, a television network. And some of the people I'd work with, worked with at um, Sundance and IFC were some of the people that had started it. At, with participant. So yeah. again, it was relationships that I had had for years. Yeah. Um, and they thought of me. Again, you know, power relationships. Yes. No, this definitely, there's no way I would have ever gotten a call about this job if it hadn't been that I had worked with and for a lot of the people who were brought in to run this network. I mean, that that's the only reason they called me. Uh, and Wait, so I want to stop you there too, because I think it's really important yeah. to everybody out there that Apart from your first gig, where it really came in from um, a temp agency, <laughs> so not a headhunter really, uh, but a temp agency. But most of the most of the opportunities in your life, I'll I'll say a blanket statement, will come from relationships from people who know you rather than through headhunters or executive recruiters. I would say there may be situations, of course, but I think that like over and over again, you'll see it in all the people who have been on already. But it's especially now with all these transitionings going on with mm -hmm. people that the power of relationships to so establish them early and, and really demonstrate how much that it that it's a two way street, you know, give give back to them. But go ahead. Yeah, no, that's absolutely the case for me. Uh, and this was another 
great example of it. I'm like I said, I would never have known about this job or gotten a call about it if it hadn't been that I'd worked for these people in the past. Yeah. Um, and it was in LA and it sounded amazing. I mean, it really was, you know, I remember thinking there is no job that brings together everything I feel passionately about like this one. <laughs> uh, I really, really fell in love with it um, yeah. and was so excited about it. And so we moved back to LA um, this town and, um, I worked on launching pivot, which was, like I said, it was a cable network. Um, and it was in the spirit of participant media, um, content that drives social change. It was targeting young audiences. Um, and it was a combination of, um, some content, um, from participants that we could license for the network and a lot of acquisitions. Uh, and I was working on the acquisitions uh, as well as the programming and the operations. Uh, and we launched, um, but we had aspirations around being direct to consumer. There were a lot of challenges on the business side, launching a single, not bundled independent cable network yeah. is now completely impossible, but then it was getting close to being completely impossible. Yeah. <laughs> so the, you know, just the tides of the industry were not in our favor. However, anecdotally, I always meet people who feel so strongly about Pivot. If they've ever watched anything on Pivot or they'd heard of it, it was such a, such a incredible endeavor um, and such a great team. See, again, you know, forces that the, mar- the the timing wasn't right for that, but the opportunity, I remember when that's where we first met when you were doing that. And I love the fact that you were mission driven and doing yeah. that sort of thing. It was, it was wonderful content. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so thanks as so that, as the market wasn't ready for that at that mm-hmm. point, then did that lead you next to Facebook? It did. Okay. Yes. So how did that happen? And again, this was a crazy one. Um, I ended up having breakfast with someone I'd worked with at Participant. And I was talking to him and he said, you know, I know someone at Facebook and it sounds like they're looking for someone to work there, getting ready to launch some international, some original programming and a, a new uh, tab in the app. And you know, let me just connect you. I mean, and this was literally in two days. He sent this woman, Sybil, a note and she... And I thought, okay, well, she'll just, if there's ever anything there, she'll just let me know. I probably will never hear from her, but she's lovely. Um, And then like two days later, she said, oh, there's this position. You should definitely apply for it. And I applied for it. The recruiter called me, I think the next day, maybe I was traveling. I mean, it happened so quickly. That was the internal recruiter, right? Yes. At Facebook. Yes. So again, it wasn't a headhunter. It was somebody through a relationship that made that connection. Absolutely. No, it was absolutely that connection. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, and that was just, it was, again, again, it was incredible. And again, it was a startup. This is, this is the, the theme. <laughs> it was a startup inside a much, obviously a much larger company, but the idea of launching original programming, Facebook watch, which was what I was working on, um, was brand new. And I was there before we launched, before it was called watch. I was there to launch watch. Um, and again, an incredible team, some of the smartest people I've ever worked with, um, and, and also really, you know, my first experience in tech. I mean, it's a tech company. Yeah, it is. And is kind of really the new flavor of media companies mm-hmm. where you have more of the traditional side and then you have the more tech-driven side. Even, you know, um, I would say HBO Max, which we'll get into a little mm-hmm. bit, is, you know, uh, obviously the mothership is AT&T. 
And AT&T yeah. is not a new tech company. It's been around for a hundred years or so, <laughs> but nonetheless, it is, that's the owner of, of this, of this storied media company. Yeah. So you are at Facebook watch, uh, creating great shows like Real Bros of Simi Valley, which again, <laughs> you all should check out. So but good. It is so good. <laughs> it is so good. <laughs> and, and then, um, well, well, let me ask you about that. So here you are starting something entirely new, mm-hmm. uh, a media company within Facebook. Uh, and so original programming, trying to figure out what the strategy is, yeah. doing all that. What did it feel like to launch something entirely new? Well, it's a well-resourced startup, but nonetheless, like, how was the pressure for something like that? Uh, it was challenging, but in new ways for me, because in a way, you know, Facebook's, Facebook's news feed is the core business. Um, so the, the, pro, the watch as a, as, a, as a tab in the app and the programming is not the company's number one priority. So it was challenging in that most of us on the media side who come from the media side had to learn how to work with product people and to learn how to work with engineers and to learn how to, you know, just get things done differently than we ever had and kind of explain why certain things were needed for support because it's not a media company. So it was challenging, but I don't, and the pressure was in that. I think the pressure was in, we really wanted a great media product. Yeah. Look, I think that that's another thing that because the world of media and entertainment has transformed so much where you have kind of the traditional media companies becoming more Mm -hmm. toward the middle of like tech companies. Yeah. And then you have the tech companies who are trying to become media companies. Yep. So there, there, and there are a lot of people in those worlds who don't know the other world. Yes. And one of the things for all of you out there that my little bit of advice, and it sounds like Jenny, you you agree, uh, learn, take a take a broad view of mm-hmm. media and entertainment, and that's why like media entertainment and tech. And fuse it all together. So when you're looking at classes, when you're looking at experiences, get a little of, try to get a breadth of experiences so you understand at least the basics of it. And so you can speak the language of it. Mm -hmm. Those kind of pieces are really important. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And the way that people work in different environments and with different teams in different environments is very important to understand to be successful. And also like the economics are fundamentally Mm -hmm. different. Yes. And so even as we get into HBO Max too, the, the economics are just fundamentally different. And so, mm-hmm. uh, and even the measurements of success are fundamentally different. Yes. So, you know, previously you, for traditional content on television, you would look at mm-hmm. Nielsen ratings and that's how it would be done. When mm-hmm. you're at Facebook watch, that's not the way it is. You're, you're right. looking at some other metrics, but mm-hmm. for overall success of the, you know, of, of Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I agree with that. It's, it's really important to think about how the tech world is entering media and how the media world is entering tech. Um, and I do definitely believe there is this like center lane um, that all will have to <laughs> find to be successful. Yeah. Okay. So you were at Facebook Watch for how long? I was at Facebook Watch for a little under two years. Okay. And then... And yeah. And then this opportunity came to me. It was a little bit different than the other opportunities. It was, I mean, I, I'm trying to remember exactly what happened, honestly. I think it was a friend who had spoken to someone here and said that 
you know, oh, this is an opportunity that I, not for me, but maybe you should talk to someone. I honestly can't remember quite what happened. Um, but then, um, yeah, I got uh, a call about it. And I mean, I was I'm pretty quickly interested, I would say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, look, for, uh, HBO Max is a pretty big story in the world of media and entertainment. Yeah. It's a pretty big one, but so, it's amazing. I mean, yeah. So I, I, the, the, I really loved being at Facebook and I learned a ton, like I said, but the opportunity to work, you know, at a company, again, AT&T, yes, ownership, but we've got Warner Brothers Studio. We've got these amazing networks. We've got CNN. I mean, it's just like, you know, media haven, <laughs> entertainment haven, um, just richness in storytelling. That was really exciting. And a massive transition to get into the world of direct-to-consumer, so becoming a, a major streaming service in a broader yeah. sense. Obviously, with HBO, and they were, you were already streaming in direct-to-consumer, yes. but this was a grand strategy in a very different mm-hmm. way. Yeah. And your role, tell us a little bit about your role within the company. So my role is content strategy and planning for Max. So my team does... Um, analysis around what we should be prioritizing in terms of content investment. So influencing the original programming team and working really closely with the acquisitions team to evaluate, you know, what kind of content will resonate in order to get us to where we need to be. Yeah. Um, And then at the same time, um, how are we going to utilize all the content that we have? So working really closely with marketing, with the editorial team um, to make sure there's, you know, discovery of the content and viewers get to, you know, see everything we've got on offer. And so without getting into detail of it, just the whole, you, you were there with, as part of the planning all the way up to launch and beyond launch. And mm-hmm. so I'll ask the same question. There was a lot, there were a lot of eyes watching you in the industry. That's for sure. It, yeah. it was a major, major story. So how how stressful and challenging was that? <laughs> well, I mean, COVID didn't help. Um, yeah, there <laughs> like, is that. Hey, in the middle of trying to get ready to launch this incredible new product, why don't you also have a pandemic and everyone works from home? Uh, so it was stressful. I'm not going to say it wasn't stressful and hard and a lot of work. I'm glad we got to work in person together as long as we did leading up to launch, honestly, because uh, I think it, it matters. And I think it really has been hard. You know, we've, we've faced challenges not seeing each other in person, um, but it was hard and it was, a, you know, it was a big, big endeavor, um, but a lot of hands on deck, you know, yeah. I mean, a lot of people really driving to make sure this is successful. So when you look at your, uh, your career and all the different transitions that you had, yeah. Couple nuggets for people out there, and then we'll get into your questions because we're sure. we're running out of time. We have ten yeah, minutes yeah. left, and we'll get into Q and A. So, if for those of you, Brett, I'm going to get to your question. The others that I have in advance for others, send them in on the Q and A or on the chat. But pull out some of the nuggets, and then maybe some advice to everybody who's sitting there right now. Kind of like what you were talking about. You're in your your place. I'm in my place. Mm-hmm. We're we're interacting this way, which is the new world order for now. Yep. What is your advice to people? But first, nuggets and then advice to the young people who are there today who, understandably, many of you are probably somewhat paralyzed. You're feeling paralyzed. Yeah. But I mean, the nuggets, I would say, are, you know, and, and I, I don't want this to sound trite, but it really is true. Just I think it's important to work really hard and don't have the expectation that, that it's going to come to you if you don't go after it. Um, you know, take risks, do the work, 
try things. It might not always lead to something, but down the line, it might, you don't even realize it. Just, you know, just try things, follow your interests. I mean, I think if something's, I always say like, follow your jealousy. If you see something that someone's doing that you're like, God, that is so cool. Like try to figure out how to do that. It doesn't, you, you can do it, you know? So I, I think when I was younger, I used to feel like, oh, I wish I could, if I could just go into that area, you know, talent some is, is limiting for some people. But I think if you think, see someone, you know, you know, doing something and you, you're jealous of it, go try to do it. Um, and then you, like you've been saying all along, it's relationship building and it's, it's authentic relationships for me. I think one of the things that's hard is people always talk about networking. And when I was young, it was like networking events. And that always stressed me out. <laughs> um, and I couldn't feel like, you know, most of the time I'd go and I'd like stand in the corner, maybe I'd talk to a person and I was like, oh, this isn't working. But if it works for you, great. But if it doesn't, find the way that does. Network in your own way. If it's like, I'm going to reach out to one person a week and figure out how to have a 15-minute virtual coffee, you know, do that. And then in those 10 virtual coffees, maybe there are three people that you really connect with. And then over time, you stay in touch. I think you need to figure out the way that works for you. So if you were somebody who's a high school, college, grad school student who's sitting there watching this and they're feeling a little bit daunted by everything going on, which is understandable. Sure. What, what would Jenny Morris be doing if you were in their shoes right now and you were at home, you, you know, you're vir- either virtually attending your school or you're mm-hmm. taking a break? I think I would just reach out and like I said, just be persistent. I mean, don't, don't, don't be overboard, but you know, reach out. I, I would think I was saying this to you earlier. Sometimes, you know, people reach out to me and if I'm crazy with work or personal things, I don't respond. It doesn't mean I think that's a terrible person. And then sometimes they follow up a month later, you know, they don't follow up every day, but they follow up six weeks later and they say, Hey, just, you know, bumping this and seeing if you might. Oh. And then I'll think now, Oh, can you hear me? No, I'll think no. now, now I'll do it. You know, there's something about this person that I resonate with. Just, just try, you know, again, don't be overly persistent with people. But I think it's worth just trying to, again, have these virtual coffees for 15. Talk to them, you know, hear people's stories. Yeah. Listen, there's, um, and I'm not sure if she's on this, on this session, but there was a young woman who in the last session reached out in just one of her chats. And it was, a, I think it was a Sarah Harden session and just said, and the question was basically for a year now or two years now, I have been trying to get my resume seen and looking for internships and I, I, I received no response, no response you know, for like a year and a half. And so, um, you know, that's one of the reasons why we're here. Creative University is here to help in that regard. And now she's going to be getting an internship, you know, so and she came into the Creative University, demonstrated that she really wants it, is doing some projects and she's going to be getting an internship. Um, so you know, that's, that's the kind of thing that can that's happen awesome. worth yeah. pursuing because that's why we're here. So a couple of questions from Natalie. What it's is not what, very good for some reason. I'm good. Yeah. I'm not sure if I'm freezing or you're my free. Wi-Fi. There. I know I'm not good. Hold on. Let me see. Yeah. You're breaking up a little bit. I hope this doesn't mess it all. So up. attendees, who's breaking up? Is it me or is it uh, just so yeah, I know? Who's, be- who's breaking up? Or is it Jenny? I think it's, I think it's you. Uh, oh, it me? Both of us. Well, that's oh, nice. great. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm going to unplug this and see, I hope this doesn't just disconnect everything. Okay. Mostly having issues with Jenny, but Jenny, well, I'll ask. Yeah, and hope, Go hopefully ahead. You will hear this. 
What was your biggest fear transitioning from school into the professional work working world, and how did you overcome it? Uh, yeah. Oof. My biggest fear uh, was that I had no idea what I was doing to pay my bills. Um, honestly, that those were my fears. I, I had those legitimately. I had. And I had no idea what I was going to do. Um, and I overcame it by taking the really small steps. Honestly, like I said, I'm not one of those people. I can't just like go out and network all the time. Like I didn't do that. But what I did do is I continued to reach out to people I had gone to school with who now I knew were entertainment. You know, I would see them often. I would do something every day um, to make, you know, strides toward what I yeah. I mean, it's not It's not glamorous. Yeah, I mean, look, that, I think what you just said is an important one, too, where if you put a, a goal too far in, ahead, then it's very daunting and how you get to it. But if you take a few, uh, if you take some baby steps or you take a little bit of action toward that, then it becomes more attainable. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully people heard that. So because we're both breaking up, I think, a little bit. I know I'm breaking up. So we have a few minutes left. We'll try. We'll keep trying. Okay. Uh, so Jenny, here's another one. Yeah. Okay. How is programming content strategy shifting for HBO Max since its launch? As we are nearing six months since the lockdown due to the pandemic, especially with regards to the, to original programming, and uh, related to that is short form content part of the current content strategy of HBO Max. Okay. Fundamentally, no. I mean, we're. Okay. Nor do we think, can you hear me? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Now we can. This, this might just, I really hope this doesn't do anything terrible. That's okay. Uh, strategy six months, four months into launch. Um, but that said, certainly COVID has had an impact on some projects that have been pushed. Um, we've done some really cool opportunistic things to bring uh, additional content to viewers sooner. Um, some acquisitions we didn't think we'd have to later. Um, some of the originals that uh, we've been able to launch on the service. Like Selena Plus Chef, which is okay. being taught by chefs. Um, so we've made adjustments based on COVID. Like we all are making adjustments right now, <laughs> including bandwidth. No, I'm trying. No, that's okay. Fortunately, <laughs> this is happening at the end of the session rather that's than good. That's good. the beginning. So that's good. That is good. That is good. Um, and then in terms of short form, we do have short content. So it's an interesting conversation around short form. We have it a lot. Um, we do have short length content on the platform. Some of we are evolving our strategy around additional content, short form content, which I think is probably something you mean something other than just um, shorter episode runtimes. Gotcha. And Brett, I said that I would get back to you. So I want to make sure I do. With everything going on with COVID, how do you predict distribution changing in the next couple of years? I mean, certainly in terms of theatricals, we're seeing shifts and adjustments. Um, I honestly think it'll depend on how quickly things get back on track, honestly, post-COVID. Or, you know, as we see theaters outside of New York and LA opening, Tenet opening, um, 
people love the theatrical experience. Um, so, you know, I, I really do think it depends how long this goes on in terms of movies. So um, in terms of t- TV content and, and platforms, I think we're already in it. I mean, we've already been in it. People are, people are excited about new streaming platforms and, and COVID or no COVID. <laughs> but, it's, but it's a crazy time for you and the, in the content side for all of you, you know, everybody in the industry, because production has come to a halt. And so the challenges that you have as content strategy and programming yeah. to c- c- continuously give people some new, fresh stuff when you can't really produce it, that's pretty incredible. That's a challenging one. Yeah. I mean, we're lucky we have like this incredible library. So we really do have access to and have already made available a ton of, I mean, luckily we're, you know, we launched not that long ago. There's a ton of incredible library content to watch. So you should come watch it. Um, and also we have rolled out originals and we're, you know, like I said, we're adjusting our original strategy just based on any delays in productions um, and acquisitions, you know, yeah. more content to come. So this is from an anonymous attendee and answer it if you feel comfortable answering it. Um, what is HBO Max focusing on acquiring make, slash making in terms of feature content? Um, we have a, a lot of feature conversations going on, but I don't think that I can really address okay. any specifics. Yeah, I, mean, I promise. I promise, Jenny, that we wouldn't get into like detailed strategy about <laughs> HBO because this is about her journey and giving you some nuggets about that understanding her role for sure, um, which is great. And so, Jenny, listen, yeah. really we're almost exactly at the hour. Yeah. We had a few technical snafus, a couple dogs barking, but that makes yeah. it more authentic, by the way. <laughs> it does. This is real. Authentic. You've been listening to Fearless Media, produced by entertainment media tech advisory firm Creative Media and sound engineered by Jason Ames. If you like what you've heard, download and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you find your favorite podcasts. To learn more about Fearless Media and Creative Media, visit creative.media. That's C-R-E-A-T-V dot media.